Hello, and welcome back to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation. This episode, I'm joined by Felicity Cator, the head of Event Lab at Hirespace, as we sit down with Mike Piddock, the founder and CEO of Glissa, to discuss audience engagement and how tech is changing the way people interact with the content at their events. So it's basically a simplistic tool to replace things that were being printed. Um, as we've moved on, we've realised that actually the power of these devices is, is to, to do something different, not just to replace something that was done in an old way, but actually to engage the audience, to do things that really draw them into the event and make them part of it. Then, Event Lab's Benjamin Edmonds has prepared a special Valentine's Day feature as he and Eleni Masala, the events and sales manager at Labs, sit down to discuss creating a better client relationship. Listen to them, I mean really, really listen to them and then do whatever it is that they have asked. It sounds easy, but not many people can do it. But first, we're trying something a little different for the News Digest. Charlotte Gentry, Martin Fullard and Ed Poland are joined by Julian Sape, the former owner of Zaffirano, as they sit down to chat about the latest news affecting the event industry. After which, they'll be utilising their collective events expertise to answer questions submitted by you, the audience. So, it's over to them. Evening, everyone. Hi. Hi. Good evening. Great to see you all. We've got Charlotte Gentry. How you doing, Ed? Got Julian Sape, former <laughs> boss of Zaffirano. How are you enjoying your, your newfound freedom? Um, sadly, I'm busier than I was beforehand, which wasn't <laughs> the intention. But there's certainly a lot going on. Well, good to hear Zaffirano, amazing business. Martin Fullard, editor of Conference News. How are you doing? I'm quite quite well. Yeah, the magazine's gone to press, so was that a today? Relaxing, a relaxing evening. Yeah. Is this a relaxing evening? This is about as relaxing <laughs> as it gets. I'm yeah. pleased you think of it that way. <laughs> I read an interesting article about Edinburgh. What's going on in Edinburgh? Uh, yes, I was in uh, in Glasgow uh, last week at the UK Inbound Annual Convention, and this is something that's made mainstream news. Uh, Edinburgh City Council are looking to impose a two pound a night tourist tax, which would go onto your hotel uh, fee. That was initially supported by Marketing Edinburgh. However, since the CEO of Marketing Edinburgh has come out to support it. He's also found that the same council wants to cut his budget by 89%. So there's more to follow on this rather unusual situation. That will make Edinburgh pretty expensive, well, I imagine. According to UK Inbound, the most expensive city in Europe. Wow. One of the most visited cities in the world, right? I was going to say not undersubscribed in terms of its interest. Heaving full of Americans, I believe, that I think expect to see the Queen. Um, whenever they go up there for a, for a quick visit to... Yeah, she to... is normally spotted, you know, <laughs> staggering around on Prince's Street about <laughs> yeah. three in the morning. Yeah, after a quick VOD V&T. <laughs> Seems crazy though, right, especially in these these times right now or... we, we absolutely need to be looking uh, outwards to the world and things like this tourists are an easy target they don't vote locally so they don't have any input uh, it's an easy target and in my view quite cynical well more to follow i imagine this will be this will be unfolding we'll keep you updated Fantastic. We added a slightly new feature to the, the, the Vendor podcast. This is, we've been crowdsourcing questions for our panel of industry experts. So we've had some brilliant questions uh, from, from, from podcast listeners uh, online, um, which we're going to put to you guys. Mm-hmm. So got that to look forward to. First, saw this article. It was in Buying Business Travel. It was titled The Myth of the Millennial. The question they asked was, millennials are undeniably digital natives, but is it fair to carry on pigeonholing them? So, so much talk about kind of millennials, but 
is it concepts of millennia? Is it a kind of real thing? And in the events industry, do we have to treat them differently, market to them differently? Or is it, you know, is it all just a load of hot I air? I mean, as far as I'm aware, millennials are the event industry. Exactly. That's why I've been spat out. <laughs> <laughs> our sales force, our buyers, uh, the people that we do business with, the people that make our business, they are millennials. And how are they different? I think millennials are good at having fun. They're, they're, they have a sense of entitlement. Um, they know what they want to get out of the workplace and their working relationships and business relationships. Um, I, I think they're a demanding bunch and I think we have to sit up and listen to them. You see, we've got the producer here nodding frantically in agreement to what you're saying. But I'm a millennial. Like I'm 34. Not afraid to say it. Born 1984. And I just don't relate to any of the mainstream millennial thing. Maybe that's because I'm completely right and everyone else is wrong. I don't know. But... <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, just general habits change. And I think, you know, marketing and the way we speak to people will always evolve. It is a natural evolution in my view. And I think actually just saying, well, this is how we uh, market to, you know, this millennial market might be all well and good, but you're still going to have a market who are not millennials, who are, you know, older. You know, we can't forget them as well. I mean, a marketing message doesn't have to be one size fits all. Surely, I'm no marketer, I don't know, but surely there's no one size, there is perhaps a one-size-fits-all message that you know encompasses everybody. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. But I guess not I just think... about marketing as well. It's, it's within, I mean, Julian, you say the events industry is, is, is millennials. Charlotte, I imagine you employ many, many millennials, is it? I would it? say probably 85% of my workforce are, are millennials. Um, however, the industry is being led by people who are not millennials. Mm. Um, and it's a conversation that actually I've been having that I strongly believe that there should be an advisory board on some of the associations of millennials who actually are injecting their opinions into the mix because as much as I personally have been in the industry for a fair amount of time, um, the future of the industry is in fact going to be the millennial market. My husband is in fact a millennial. Um, so we often debate the difference in opinion. Uh, are, are they more demanding or is this a myth? So it's James Stevenson, UK Vice President, General Manager of American Express Global Business Travel says, it's essential to communicate the right messages at the right time through the right channels, whether that's in-app, SMS or email. It's crucial that they feel engaged, informed, supported and listened to at all times. Is that any different to anyone else? Or I think communication is absolutely key. People who are you know, coming through a sector who are younger. Um, they're used to literally being able to communicate. It's what they grew up with from a very early age entirely mm. via... Um, digital means. See, I agree with that, absolutely. But I'd also say, you know, the list of uh, things you just read out from, you know, Chumley from uh, Amex, uh, who in Generation X or Baby Boomer generation wouldn't want the same kind of, you know, <laughs> communication? Well, exactly. That's kind of what I mean. Is it just... I think that there is um, an ability bought... for a lot of people to, um, you know, perhaps in slightly being slightly older burying your head in the sand and not communicating perhaps as effectively uh, because we were brought up in a slightly different environment where you just sort of got on with it absolutely, um, and you didn't necessarily have to communicate at every single point in, in, in moment on every emotion that you had. It's, feel, it's feeling those desires and values and aspirations but there's, it's one thing feeling them and there's another thing voicing them or making your decisions and, and how you engage with the workplace and your colleagues with those values as the driving force. There's a lot of talk about kind of instant gratification. I guess it's a kind of digital thing, right? It's the, you know, the online you get, you know, you can find what you want quickly. You can get, you can buy what you want, want quickly, and maybe that has a, a maybe that's what sets them aside from just young people in 
times ages gone by. I'm sure I'm sure that that's the case and I think there is a definite need to feel the sense of reward in the workplace and much faster I think within the workplace. Um, not that that's right or wrong that's absolutely understood but therefore the communication about that is much more open now mm. um, in terms of how you handle um, staffing and HR issues. Um, the communication has to be a lot better. Mm. I was having a conversation with someone from the Entrepreneurs' Organisation and there are non-millennial CEOs who are now being mentored by millennials mm. uh, just to help them adapt and, and, and make sure their, their mindset's on point. Mm, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely not the, not the first people to have talk, talked about millennials. I just thought we kind of picked up on it because it appeared in this... But in a way, it won't be long before millennials become old news and it'll be about generations. And are they still going to have the same millennial mentality? No, they're going to yeah. go old school. I mean, Martin's, Martin's Martin, you've already reached that. Yeah, honestly, already reached I, saw, I saw a young lad today wearing, I'm not joking, crossing the road wearing a boiler suit, Doc Martin's with a bowler hat. He couldn't have wow. been more than 20. It's like, honestly, what's coming in the future is chaos. Did you ask him why... <laughs> Honestly, you know what I mean? Honestly, iPhones, they'll be gone in two years. That's it. Everyone will be coming around a massive Remington typewriter. <laughs> Goodness knows. How exciting. Can't wait. <laughs> right. I want to move on to some of these questions that we've been asked online. We simply said we have a panel of esteemed experts from the events world, and we would like you to ask any questions that you want answered. So here we go. Now, this one is from Ben Kizelzog from Stack Overflow. He's a regional di- director at Stack Overflow. And he says, with more money being invested in digital marketing by brands, how important is it for brands to invest into events to create seamless online, offline experiences for their customers? Absolutely crucial in, in my mind, um, irrespective of the digital revolution if you want to call it that Um, you can do as much digital marketing as you like but at the end of the day people still have to see touch feel launch all of those things if you're talking about big brands um, they still you know you've still got to get the press there you've still got to um, you can't launch something really effectively online without still getting that touch and that feel um, and and, the, and there's a bigger need than ever for the experiential and how you actually provide the environment for that. I think it will be a sad day when live events, um, event experiences become an optional extra. I mean, I think they are at the hub of, of how um, any business brands engage with its audience. I think emotional engagement is, is, is the oldest trick in the book of, of, of building... Uh, a business community you know getting people to engage with your brand we talk about experiential marketing but in fact the the original event the original hospitality was was an experience that was about mm. drawing people into uh, a universe and refreshing the spirit and um, I think if we ever lose that um, in favor of, of of the online it, it will be a very sad day I I don't think you can engage with your audience in the same way mm. ha- however tenacious have a saturated that conversation is it not the same as walking into a space and and breathing and and having a sensory experience and i think that relates to this uh, you know this millennials chat we've just had as well i think it's quite well documented that all millennials apart from me uh, <laughs> love experiences 
You know, they invest in experiences. So for the foreseeable the future, so to, they to, are not going away. To flip it on its head, so agreed that you need to create the online and offline experience. You can't just have the, the online experience and you need, to, you need to have these live experiences. So marketing professionals, you know, they need to understand events and experience and how to invest in it. By the same token, do do events professionals, you know, is, is it part of a, uh, an events company or events professional to, to understand the the online experience as well? If it's all part of the same thing, is that is that an onus on, on events professionals to really kind of get both pieces of the puzzle? You can't can't really now have one without the other and it's all part of the marketing mix anyway um, so you have to understand what the marketing strategy in terms of the brand experience looks like online to be able to deliver the experiential event um, and you know when it comes to the online experience that's a huge part of also delivering a lot of the data capture prior to actually now prior to actually delivering the event itself. So, you know, it doesn't matter really how many posts you put on Instagram or or, or LinkedIn or, or whatever. You still have to. You can't beat the networking experience of being in a room with your audience to actually have those conversations. You can chat online, but I'm still not really going to understand what mm. you know the person online that I'm chatting to what they what they feel like. What they you know you're looking in my mind, looking to the whites of someone's eyes and know whether or not you want to work with that person or not. Yeah, yeah completely agree. I mean, I think this cuts. To, I mean, we could talk talk for hours on this question. It really cuts to the, the core of of what we all do. So thanks to Ben for posing that question. Moving on to to another question. This one's from Irina Graf. She's the founder of the mice blog she's asked what's your number one challenge when pitching for new business and do you think that creativity has a price challenge the challenge is to get the honest information out of the corporate that's actually asking you to tender to really understand what you're actually facing to make the decision whether you actually want to tender in the first place i think that is one of the biggest challenges because we've slightly got to a stage where we don't always want to be included in a tender if there are six to eight people in that pitch process of mm. which one is an incumbent and actually getting the relevant information first that's really honest and having an honest conversation with somebody and saying look do you have an incumbent um have you worked with them for a long time do you have a strong relationship with that individual um you know we is this don't, a box ticking process? is this a box ticking mm. process we don't really want to be the benchmarking experience because mm. it's taking us you know, 15 to 20 hours to produce this particular document. This, this is all driven by procurement. It's the number one complaint I hear from agencies is that, mm. that the pitching process is not transparent. And in a lot of cases, people, you know, agencies are brought in to pitch so they can merely compare mm. to, you know, to, to, you know, to the incumbent as, as nothing more than a price comparison exercise. 100%. And then, and then we've had scenarios where um, you know, we've then tried to follow up to find out whether or not we've been successful in that pitch. And we can't even get hold of the person. Mm. So we've done all of this work and somebody mm. doesn't even have the courtesy on occasion. Right. Are you worried that your intellectual property is yeah. stolen? Mm. Yes. So, I guess it's, so I guess kind of establishing trust and transparency, mm. is, that, is, that, is that kind of it as the, as the main challenge? That's and, my personal take I, on it. I think there is another question. I think if we, if we put that sort of slightly complex, dysfunctional procurement thing to one side, and where, where you do have a level playing field of suppliers um, who are being asked to flex their creative muscles, and it's, it's kind of like a beauty parade, you know, where you've got five companies who are, all have an equal chance. I definitely think that the company that invests the most in the pitch 
often is the one that will shine forth. Mm. I mean, having been on both ends, of, we, we when when Zafirano rebranded, we went to three or four creative agencies, and it was really interesting the different approach. Some of them very, very sort of, you know, dipping their toe in and perhaps we can send you a few ideas and see what you think of them and we can expand on them. And the agency that actually went the full hog mm. and did five fully-fledged concepts, just immediately, it was just a no-brainer. Then then the question was, which of those concepts do we want? I think there is something to be said for not being too suspicious about um, competition yeah. and, and actually being true to yourselves and, and giving as much as you've got. Mm. Albeit, you know, there is a price tag and one shouldn't be going for anything that where you do you have some inside, inside information where you know you're gonna, not going to stand a chance. And there are corporations where you really are going, you know, certainly within the automotive industry as an example or some very big brand stuff where you know you are one of a number and you have to make a decision about whether or not you actually really want to invest that time and energy. I think it's, it's the initial decision that yeah. is important. Once you've made the decision, then yeah. go for it. And thank you, Irina, for um, yeah for another brilliant question. We've got time uh, for one minute on this final question. And this is from Charlotte Ash. She's a communications assistant at Scriptora. And she asked, what's the worst thing you've ever seen go wrong at an event? Hideous experience in Singapore that I never want to go through ever again in my whole life. Supplier basically didn't know what they were doing and didn't deliver any equipment at all and didn't tell us either. Leaving the main course in a goods lift five miles away from a central London venue, <laughs> three minutes before service. How many main courses? 150. <laughs> uh, in a that trumps mine, I think. <laughs> in a... In a pre-journalism world, I used to work at a go-kart track and there was one event many, many years ago where we ran out of carts because they kept breaking down in the rain outdoor circuit and we had some very angry people who had paid a lot of money and all the go-karts were broken. It was humiliating. I mean, if you're going to go go-karting, you want yeah. some, some go-karts. You want the cart to work, I suppose. Yeah, it's basic. <laughs> Thank you very much, firstly, to everyone who asked questions. We'll, we will do this again next time. So if you would like to ask a question to our panel, then do so. Um, we will have posts um, at Event Lab online through which you can, you, you can ask that question or you can email us on eventlab at hirespace.com and we will get those questions answered for you. Guys, Thank you very much for your expertise and your insight. We will see you next time. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you'd like to submit your question to the podcast, you can tweet us at eventlab underscore online and include the hashtag AskAnEventProf. We're continuing our theme of tech, engagement and innovation now as we talk about tech and audience engagement. So today I have with me Felicity Cator, the head of Event Lab. Hello. Uh, and we are joined by Mike Piddock, the founder and CEO of Glisser. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I guess, Mike, could you give us a really quick rundown of just what it is the Glisser platform is? Uh, yes. So Glisser is event technology. Um, we're all about engaging audiences to gather data at live events. So basically... Um, we use audience participation, voting, polling, interaction, and so on during primarily kind of corporate meetings, presentations um, to get people interacting, having fun, but also we can generate data from those interactions and use that to tell event planners lots of things, including who was engaged, who wasn't, and whether their event was successful. As part of our kind of focus uh, this couple of months on tech, innovation, engagement, as part of our kind of event lab 
theme, we, we really want to take a look at audience engagement and how kind of tech is changing that space. From your point of view, how do you see it's kind of changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, so if you go back, say, five years ago, um, that was really when event apps took off. And event apps really came in to replace paper. So basically saying that you're printing an event agenda, stop doing that, put it into an app. Um, you're putting maps on walls of, of venues, stop doing that, put it into an app. So it was basically a simplistic tool to replace things that were being printed. Um, as we've moved on, we've realized that actually the power of these devices is, is to, to do something different, not just to replace something that was done in an old way, but actually to engage the audience, to do things that really draw them into the event and make them part of it. So rather than just having a handful of people asking questions by raising their hand, actually have them tap it into their phone, upvote each other's questions. You're basically crowdsourcing content. So, so these tools are starting to shift the way that events are designed how sessions are designed, how spaces are used and things like that. So it's it's far more than just the kind of paper replacement that we saw five years ago. And it's really uh, event planners are starting to, to get creative with it. And I think that's what's really interesting now. I think there's a lot of exciting space for ways that we can create events, uh, utilize the stuff to kind of really engage with the audience and take them from, I guess, the passive participants and kind of bring them into as an active part of the kind of content process. Totally, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a presentation to 100 people there's really only one brain in the room being exercised that's the person speaking everyone else is just the receiver from my perspective if somebody's teaching in that way or telling me about something in that way i may as well watch it on a youtube video because i can i can get the same information the fact that you've brought people together means you should be engaging all 101 brains in the room to co-create something and to make that better than simply watching a youtube video so it really does tie into this idea of bringing people together uh, and using them to create something unique that you won't get if you just create content and push it out on the web. It's answer. It's allowing people to use the platform to ask questions to to the speaker, to the panel, uh, but then the audience collaborates on picking out those best questions so you don't just have to, you know, it's, it's not just whoever the mic gets handed to. Yeah, it's totally democratic. It brings in introverts. You know, it's half the room are probably introverted. They're sitting at the back. They've got a great question. They want to contribute to the debate but they don't like raising their hand and speaking in public. Suddenly they're brought on board and they feel part of the event. So you're opening up and encouraging people like that to come to more events because they're getting more benefit, more satisfaction because it's been designed to suit the way that they operate. You think about you know, the tech community, there's a lot of clever people that are introverted and, and, and they're not uh, being, um, being used as well in events as they could be if you don't use technology like this. I mean, do you think we could ever see, uh, I guess a shift from from not just audience, like using the tech to pass questions to kind of influence the content, but actually using a kind of voting system or like a suggestion system to shape the, the content initially before a kind of talk even starts. Yeah, we see clients doing that already. So actually using the platform in advance to gather information, using it to help form the event. And then they're often using the data that they get from the event to form the next event. So it becomes an iterative process. Um, and you're constantly listening to your audience. Um, if you think about it, you, you know, my, the analogy I use a lot is on websites. You know, 10 years ago, you read a newspaper website and you just read it like you were reading a paper. You kind of read the article and then you went and read another article and you, you, you're just consuming it in the traditional way. Whereas now, you read the article, you get to comment on it, you get to tweet it and share it. It gives you three recommended articles that are related to that. It's an entirely different experience to just reading a physical newspaper. And you can kind of think of events like that. Right now, most events are still going in, sitting there passively watching a presentation in the same way that you would have watched it 50 years ago in a, in a school. You know, you get, you get talked at. 
what we're seeing is now people are starting to change the way, change the dynamics of those presentations because they are involving that audience and recognizing that whilst you might have a set subject, the actual discussion should and could go could go anywhere. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess just thinking about it from a kind of an event organizer perspective, it's got to be quite a nervous thing to to sort of relinquish control a little bit and put... Terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> put the control of the things that you're going to be putting on stage in the hands of your audience. Totally. And, and event, event planners love control. It's a big part of what they do. It, it, you know, there's so many moving parts that to relinquish control is, can be a challenge. Um, but I think also event planners recognise that they want their events to be special. They want people to be talking about them. They want them to go away and, and tell their friends to come back next year. And, and engagement and participation really is a good way to achieve that. So, yeah, it does mean slight, taking event planners slightly outside of their comfort zone. Um, and that's a big part of what we do is to hold their hand through those first couple of times just to show that this does work and it, and it, and it, and it can be powerful. And, and once they're out of that comfort zone, it becomes just second nature to them. So, yeah, there's a learning process, but hopefully it's our job to help them through that. I mean, do you think there's any... I guess it's kind of kind of a question to pose you both, because I guess uh, like event lab, there's so much effort that goes into curating such you know, an interesting array like of speakers from all all different areas. I mean, do you think there are any downsides to perhaps an event that then tries to do it to take a completely democratic approach and just throw out the content and topics they're going to be talked about to its audience and kind of leaving it up to them? Um, I think it, it, there's there's a place for everything, and you can't saturate an event with so much participation and, and and completely change it with no structure. You've got to find a balance. What we find is with with the events that we work on, sometimes really focusing in on particular sessions to be really engaging and really participatory works really well. So we often suggest to clients they do a kind of Dragon's Den style session or Shark Tank in the US, and 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 have a really engaging session lots of speakers voting on them and and really making it something that that people recognize as similar to to the decision making process that you'd see on dragon's den for example and it works really well in that in that focused session but if you're running a huge event with 27 sessions across you know 27 different different rooms different speaker sessions hundreds of presentations you can reach a saturation point where we kind of say no focus this on on the right areas rather than trying to do it everywhere I think also there are, um, I totally agree, and I think there is, there's a, certainly a place for it, and I think every session should definitely have an element of flexibility there. And I love the, the, you know, the concept of having whole sessions dedicated to purely really, like, really creating that experience from the audience perspective and them being able to really lead out in um, what they want to learn about, mm. what they want to hear about from the speakers, where they want the discussion to go. Um, and, you know, it can be a scary thing for events organisers, but you don't really get any reward without a little bit of risk. <laughs> um, in, in terms of sort of how you've seen it most dramatically kind of laid out, have you had any kind of uh, experiences where someone has actually said, we're planning on doing this, and you've thought, whoa, <laughs> that's I mean, brave. <laughs> we've, we've got what we would call a super user, and he's a professor of mathematics at Oxford. And he's used the product in a really interesting way where he's actually trying to prove this this old ancient theory um, basically says that if you if you ask a, a group of people a question that on average they will get the answer right and it all goes back to kind of guessing the weight of a bull and it's like a it's a it's a theory from hundreds of years ago and it's similar to like guessing the number of jelly beans in a jar so we he actually called it the jelly beans presentation and he's used the tech to actually live test that theory a whole room full of people 
We also had a live stream running, so you had hundreds of people online watching it and participating as well. And the result came in live voting, and it and it proved that it was correct. On average, people guessed the weight of the ball correctly <laughs> and guessed the number of jelly beans in the jar correctly. So it was, it was interesting that he was really pushing it to the limits by not just using the product, but totally integrating it into the concept of the lecture that he was giving. And that's, that's really interesting. We've also seen um, one client um, connect up the live data to the lights in the room. So as people were voting certain ways, it changed the mood lighting in the building. So you can start to get really creative with it. And venues with, with amazing spaces can start to connect the data that we're gathering into physical objects. And I think that could be an interesting way to go in the future. I mean, do you think, do you think it's perhaps venues who are the people that need to kind of lead the way on integrating this sort of tech more into events? Um, we're reaching out to venues right now because we kind of see this as the next step from them looking at AV. So I think it's familiar now that most venues will have a preferred supplier or in-house AV because they recognise that virtually every um, every one of their clients that's running a certain sort of presentation or event is going to require microphones, lights, stages, screens and so on. Um, and we're, the product that we have and, and where we operate is very, very close to AV, much closer to AV than an event app would be, which is like a discrete piece of technology. We connect into the big screen and we're projecting stuff onto the stage and you know behind the presenter and we're, we're closely involved in that process. So it's really important that we work with good venues that get that and, and they, there really is an opportunity to, for venues to position themselves as tech savvy by having a tool like this available, offering it to clients and encouraging them to use it. I mean, I guess just as a, a final point, I guess what would you say are the kind of most essential tips that you'd give to people looking to, who perhaps haven't picked up this, this tech yet, to kind of integrate it into their events? I think it always comes back to understanding what you're trying to achieve from the event and not using technology for technology's sake. So, so many, um, not our clients in the past, but so many people have kind of said we need an event app because somebody in their company has said we need an event app and they've not actually worked out why they want an event app. It's the same with audience participation. You know, it's w What's the event trying to achieve? Are you trying to use the event to sell to prospects? Are you trying to grow your brand? Are you trying to teach people something? If you understand that, then you can think about how the technology applies to that. So, for example, if you're if you're teaching people something, tr training them, um, we can engage with like live quizzing and leaderboards and things like that. And we've done things like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire games integrated in. And not only are you make you gamifying it and making it fun, you're actually gathering data which determines whether people were actually learning from that session, whether they were paying attention, and whether they got the answers right. So you're you're tying in the tech to the outcome of the event. And that's really, that's the piece that I always go back to. I, I ask every client, you know, what's, this, what's the objective of this event? Because it's our job to use technology to help you achieve that. It's not our job just to bring in tech because it's a bit of fun. But, you know, that's, that's really not a strategic use of, of what we do. So communication, I guess, as well, is such a huge, such a hugely sort of important thing for carrying out something like this. Because when you're looking at between the venue, the events organisers, and the tech providers, they've really got to be in tune with one another in what's expected and what's being delivered. And to absolutely, be able to yeah. So when we worked on on your event, um, you know, it's, it's crucial that we're engaging with you, mm -hmm. with the venue, with the AV suppliers. You have presenters. So there's lots of moving parts and lots of different parties, and all of them need to be aligned and understand what it is. It's no good just dumping tech in front of presenters and saying, hey, you can use this, you can do some polls, you can do some Q&A. You've got to explain why. What's the benefit to them? You know, Can we assess how well their session went down? Can we give them data about who is participating in their session? 
which will enable them to follow up perhaps with sales calls or, or prospecting. So you, if, once you explain to people why the tech's in place, then they get it and they can see whether it's a benefit to them and, and they, they go along with it. But you're right, communication amongst all the parties is, is vital. And we deliberately over-service our clients because of that fear factor that you mentioned that once we've taken them through that, that initial fear factor and won their trust, then it all becomes much easier and we end up doing the second, the third, the fourth event and, and then it becomes just like clockwork and, and that, that fear's, fear's disappeared. Yeah, I think that's I think two very important messages there. But yeah, thank you very much uh, both for joining me. Brilliant. Thank you. got some relationship advice for you now as Benjamin Edmonds and Eleni Masala sit down to bring you some top tips for building better client relationships. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Eleni Masala who is the head of sales and events at Labs and um, otherwise known as the CEO of Love. (laughs) Not to be confused with Hirespace's very own Dr. Love. but do get in touch with Dr. Love if you're looking for a perfect wedding venue. Today, we're going to be talking about love and relationships within the events industry. Exactly. (laughs) And this is the point where everyone behind the screen thinks this is going to get very dicey. But the good thing is we've prepared. We are, we are. Hello, Benjamin, and thank you for having me here. How are you? I'm very excited to be here, actually. So it's always very interesting to see how... People in the events industry respond with their clients. Mm-hmm. I think as you as you well know, mm-hmm. you can get some clients that are absolutely fabulous and others that are slightly more challenging. Mm-hmm. But what would you say is sort of the importance of building long-term relationships with, with your clients and, and making them happy and feeling the love? <laughs> it's really a nice question. Um, it goes without saying, but we must and must with capital letters invest time and real effort into getting to know our clients and listening carefully to their needs. Offering a great service means repeat business, great reputation, and establishing a loyal customer base. Once you have the right reputation, it is easier to gain trust and confidence. Also, you do not need to use excessive marketing to try and win new customers, which also can reduce overall costs. When you look after your clients, increases the chances of them promoting your business to others through recommendations. And this is something that I always say for years, that word of mouth will always, always be the best marketing tool, no matter what the new trades are in marketing. How do you go about sort of fostering that word of mouth and and trying to bring people in and make them want to go out and say, this is the best place to be? Well listen to them I mean really really listen to them and then do whatever it is that they have asked it sounds easy but not many people can do it Um, also don't lie don't give promises you can achieve any type of relationship is based on good communication and respect and you know exactly what I mean communication is based on listening and responding not failing to listen and then doing whatever you want to do so don't pretend to smile I hate false smiles I've never given you a false smile in my life. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Gain an eye contact like you do now. Um, Make a promise that you will fulfill. Okay? Yeah. Provide solutions in advance when you foresee a problem. And don't just speak to them when you want to sell them something. I mean, and and that means if you are my client, I'm not going to call you to chase you for an invoice or to chase you for something in order to, for me to 
take more money from you. Call them and ask how things are going and if there is anything you can assist them with. It's really, really important. And in general, be available and helpful. Make them feel important to you. It's very good tips. I think it's are quite similar. To, I'm always happy. <laughs> I think one of the one of the interesting things we had um, we had Kevin Jackson in yeah. a couple of months ago, and we were talking mm-hmm. about sales a bit, and um, he was saying there's, there's no such thing as sales. Mm. But the other thing he was saying is that at every opportunity, you should just be looking to add value, and not necessarily going out and being like, "Oh, have you paid this invoice yet?" or "Oh, have you thought about buying this add-on?" It's a great price. Um, and it's always good to to go out and think, actually, no, let's let's just catch up. Let's see how things are going. Let's see how we can help rather than just going, <clears throat> how would you like to spend more money with us? The thing is that people are smart, okay? So it's very important to make them feel that they are not manipulated because people can feel that. Mm. So it's very important. So, But in general, the most important thing is make regular communications with them and that should be one of our top priorities. And it's difficult. Seriously, it's challenging because you have to organize five to ten events per week and Mm. all of them are your number one priority. And it's not easy because how many hours the day have, has, sorry. So, um, and there is... there is no such thing as over-communicating. Clients depend on you to keep them informed. So it's really, really important. Another thing is be a useful resource. The more value you offer, the more a client comes that depend on you. Another thing is be <clears throat> honest at all times because that shows respect. No long-term relationship survives if the two parties aren't honest with each other. Clients, as, as I said earlier, are smart and they know where they are being com- manipulated. Um, so treat every client as your most important one. Another thing is always meet your deadlines. Your word is your bond. You have to be very careful with what you are telling to them. Um, Also appreciate your customers. Maintain a positive attitude. Be optimistic and realistic. And have fun. And have fun. Always have fun. I mean, do you remember the time you came to visit me at Labs? I do. Do you remember how I treated you from the moment you get in the door? You were delightful. You gave me coffee. Exactly. You made me feel at home. Exactly. And we had a fantastic chat Mm -hmm. and a fantastic tour. Mm -hmm. And a lot more people are going to get that fantastic insight next week at the fantastic event that we're going to host there. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. fun. You know, you might laugh with this because... and the reason is because only because you call me CEO of Love. I always see um, when I have a side visit with a client and they come in the venue for the first time, it's like I'm having a first date. <laughs> no, it, I know you, that you are that you will laugh with this, but it is true. You have to be there with a smile. You need to have. You need to be relaxed. You need to look after them. You need to make them feel comfortable because actually they're coming to visit you in your house in a way, mm. and thing- you are the hostess. Exactly. And I think the thing that I've always seen is that people want to work with people. It's not a case Mm. that you could have one product, you could have the next product, you could have this venue, that venue, but it's people working with people at the end of the day. You have that connection. You're already five steps ahead of the next person. And always the result is really good because when you have that connection, when you have built a relationship, when there is trust... When the client feels comfortable with you, I'm telling you, because I have seen that, they will buy more and more from you. I have done some statistics in my past, and I have seen that 
for example, let's say for November, 45% of the revenue were coming from repeated clients. That yeah. says something. No, it's a massively important area to actually try and build those long-term relationships and make sure that people want to come back. Mm. And that's the, that's hugely important. And I think one thing that you've picked up on is being able to listen, really. And one, one piece of advice I've always taken on board is that you've got two ears and one mouth, so you should be listening twice as much as you're talking. And it's the best way of doing things. And then just let them talk and, and then respond to what it is that they need. I said that earlier, but it's not easy. Not all no. of them can do. Especially no. when you have, let's say, 10 side visits in the day. And you have to go back and answer in 100 emails. And again, you have to keep that beautiful smile and be relaxed and look after them and give the best that you can give and go above and beyond for them. It's very true. And what would you say is, how do you, how do you deal with that, with that sort of pressure of having to deliver a really high-level service at such a scale? And sort of what's the sort of key characteristics that you need to, to be able to do that? The answer is very simple for me. <laughs> <laughs> because of uh, my new title, CEO of Love. Well, it's love. It's love for what you're doing. And otherwise... You can't survive. I mean, love is an incredible, powerful feeling. The dictionary defines love in several ways in which we use the word. One example is that love is a strong, positive emotion of affection or pleasure. But love, and this is where it comes, where what we need to discuss, is also patient, kind, caring, honest, loyal, trust, and mutual respect. But what role does love play in business in general? Not only in events industry, but generally in business. Love doesn't just play a role in business, it's the key to business. Business is simply about relationships, the relationships with all the people we work with, buy from and sell to. All healthy relationships are in one way or another based on love. If that sounds, you know, fluffy, consider the fact that clients who feel love, which here we mean that they feel heard, then the result is higher engagement. Higher engagement means increased productivity, means delivering a successful event, and also increased profits for your business. So win-win. It's love. a perfect scenario. It's all you need. All you need is all love. All you need is love. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't force love upon someone. Definitely so what do, you, what, do you, what do you do if someone, if one of your clients has not had their expectations met and they're not feeling that love? The tough part about expectations is that most people are not so great at communicating them. And that happens in every kind of relationship. So my first tip in resolving a conflict with a client is don't argue. <laughs> because you'll never win. And even if you do prove the client wrong, you will lose the client. And also you will destroy your reputation. And you definitely cannot jeopardize this. So I will typically start with accepting it's my fault in some way or another. But this doesn't mean, doesn't need to mean it's actually my fault. I usually word it as my fault for not explaining something clearly. That can happen of course, or presenting information in a way that was easy to misunderstand. And that helps to put the client at ease. It makes them more willing to listen to your next point, which hopefully is the answer or a solution. In few words, we have to think like the customer always. In other words, we have to be in their shoes. We need to understand how the other person feels. And that is true for every type of relationship. It's very true indeed. And I think... 
it's very easy to to go in and promise a client the world and communicate all manners of nonsense. But what you want to be doing is making sure that you're getting that repeat business and that you are continually maintaining a reliable client base that want to work with you and want to promote you because they trust you and because they want to encourage other people to come and work with you because they feel the love and I think that's and that's people really key. people hate lots of words actually people prefer actions mm. actions prove what you're saying yes right? yeah there's only so much you can talk <laughs> all day we can exactly. be talking about all kinds of nonsense <laughs> but until we actually see results and see something happening yeah I can I can promise you the world if I want to it's very easy I can do that You just, But will you trust me? Well, you put the fake smile on and then, <laughs> and then straight away anyone will believe what you're saying. Just say it with confidence and with a big smile on your face and, and you can do anything. But yeah. it's all about making sure that there's substance to that smile. And if you Great. do that, then you've got a long way to go. Perfect. I think the thing that, that I've always found is that if you think about how much time you spend at work, whether it's maybe... 40 hours a week or if you're in events maybe More. 80 <laughs> exactly that's a lot of your week that exactly. you'll spend working with clients and making people making other people happy and that's the thing and if you can't find a way of enjoying that and and feeling the love yourself then you won't be able to be no as way. effective at delivering a positive service and building those relationships anyway no way It's really, really difficult, and I don't think all people understand what we are going through. And imagine have so many people, so many clients that you have to look after, and they have all of them to be your priority, and they all need you now, 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 now. Exactly. How, how is that possible? We find a way. Exactly. We always find a way, and the customers. I did it my way by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I think we have covered everything. I think we've covered everything. How do you feel? I'm feeling the love. You're feeling the love. Are you okay, feeling cheers. the love, Eleni? <laughs> cheers. <laughs> And happy Valentine's Day. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much for joining us, My CEO pleasure. of Love. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you again next week I at the wait. first Event Lab series of the year. Amazing. We'll see, see you there. You there. <laughs> Bye. On Wednesday, the 20th of February, we have our first Event Lab series event cost-effective ways to personalize the live event and surprise your audience. You can register to attend at eventlab.online. If you can't attend, you can always tune into the live stream of the discussion and Q&A on the Hirespace Facebook page from 5pm to 6pm. As always, you can find links to everything mentioned in the episode in the show notes below. If you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. Thanks very much for listening.